0: It. We're doing a series called Money in the City, and living in the city creates some unique challenges with regards to money, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> Most notably, that it's crazy expensive to live here. And so all of the normal pressures and issues and problems associated with money are just amplified when you live in the city. And sometimes incomes are amplified, always expenses are amplified. And so we're looking at how we deal with money in the city together. And I wanted to talk for just a second about why we're doing this series because one of the things we've been promising over the last couple weeks is that we're not going to ask you for money there's no there's no big gotcha moment where at the end of the series we're like and now there's a special offering we're just we're not doing that we're not trying to get into a building we're not raising money for missions we may do stuff like that in the future if we need to as a church but this is just not that because it's so important to us that we talk about money without asking for it because we believe that God wants something for you more than he wants something from you, does that make sense? That there is a kind of freedom that comes when we manage money well according to God's principles. In fact, um, the average American household is something has something like twenty seven hundred dollars a year that they pay in credit card interest. Which means that, and that, that's actually the way conservative estimate. Which means that in a church our size, um, roughly ninety thousand dollars a year is is paid just in credit card interest every year. So I I was thinking about this the other day. You know, if, if we took that money that we were paying in credit card interest and instead focused that on generosity in any sort of way, how would that change Boston? How would that change our heart and our lives, the sort of freedom we felt to be generous in the way that we desire to be? This is about the difference between um, living with freedom and generosity or funding Visa's kingdom. So that's what we want. We've been talking, uh, we've been talking really directly, straight up, about money. We looked at this parable in Luke about um, Jesus gives these talents, these minas, which is just a measure of gold, to these servants. He, well, he doesn't give. Did I say Jesus gives it to them? He tells a story, it was a parable, about a man who gives minas to his servants and then he goes away to a far country. And, and the servants are supposed to manage the, the talents, the minas. And then the nobleman comes back and he says, how did you invest them? What did you do? And one of them had doubled his money, and he's, he's, he's put over responsibility and authority over many cities. And one of them had added 50%, and he's put over a few less cities. And then one of them hadn't done anything. He hadn't even walked down the street to the bank to put it on loan with the bankers to get interest. And Jesus says, hey, listen, you were actually, let's be, let's be frank, you know, you're being, you're being lazy with what you've been entrusted. Therefore, take away what he has and give it to the one who um, was faithful. And so as we looked at this parable of Jesus, we saw that kind of the big idea of the parable is that whatever God gives you, manage it well for the glory of God. Whatever God gives you, manage it well for the glory of God. And last week we talked about whatever God gives you, the idea that what we have comes from God, even though we do work for it and we work hard for it and we try to be responsible with it, yet... God owns everything that is, and what we have is a stewardship from Him. But this week, we're talking about managing it well. Managing it well. The Bible says a lot about managing it well. In fact, um, today is kind of... um, I'm breaking every rule that my professors ever taught me on how to give a message... When you go to school and they, they teach you how to give a sermon, they say, it, it should be about one thing. And maybe uh, it could have a couple points, but it needs to be about one thing, no more than three points. Well, today, our sermon has ten points. <sighs> so, uh, we should be out of here by about three or four today. I promise that isn't going to happen. We're looking, we're, today we're going to take more of a shotgun approach than a rifle approach. Fair enough? I want to give you that warning. Before we go, it will be a normal length sermon, I promise. Some of you are like, oh no, not normal length. (laughs) I think this is important for all of us. All of us could stand to be better money managers, whether we're Christians or not. All of us can grow in this, even those of us who are already good at it. But here's what I hope that you walk away today after we go through these 10 points on what the Bible says about managing money. For some of you, I'm hoping that this will change your view of the Bible you will say, I didn't know that that was even in the Bible. I had no idea that the Bible was such a practical book. I had no idea that a book that was written two to 3,000 years ago could be so, um, so locked in with what I'm dealing with in 2016. Some of you will probably hear these and, and, and at the end of point number 10 just feel really, really depressed. <laughs> you go like, man, I need to get some help and if this sermon does that to you uh, i'm sorry but i'm not sorry you know because we as a church want to offer that kind of help so what we have is financial peace university is going to be starting in a couple weeks it's like a dave ramsey course it it doesn't really deal with huge issues of the heart but it does deal with practical things how do you make a budget how do you get out of debt how do you save an emergency fund how do you make investments what's the role of insurance how do you start saving for longer term goals like college um, or for some of you, paying off student debt, right, student loans, or, or, or saving for a goal, whatever that is. So you can actually sign up for that at the Next Step Center today, and you'll get an email today from Ken Gilming, who's organizing that class, and it, it takes nine weeks, and he'll, you're not, if, you, if you sign the paper, you're not signing up for the class, you're signing up to get info from Ken. Does that make sense? So if you're interested at all, sign up at the Next Step Center today. So some of you may walk away and say, I need more wisdom, I need more help. And some of you may may hear the the message today and say, you know what, that that affirms that I'm doing some things right, but there were one or two points in there, there were one or two things that maybe I could brush up on that. And I could do, um, I could step up my game in this or that area. And so as we go through these ten, I want to challenge you, number one, write them down. If you're not a note-taker, today is a note-taking sermon. There's ten points. You're not going to remember them. You might not remember any of them if you don't write them down. Write them down. And circle, underline, put a check mark on the one or two that you feel like God is saying to you, hey, focus on this. Okay? So, hopefully you find yourself in there somewhere. Today we're talking about managing it well and what the Bible teaches about it. Are you ready? Do you have your seatbelt buckled for a ten-point sermon? It's going to go, let's do this. It's going to go fast. Number one, cultivate contentment. Cultivate contentment. Number one, we're not starting with some of the more tangible. We're starting with a matter of the heart. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know why this is so important when it comes to managing your money and sticking to your budget? Because if you don't have contentment, you will try to buy contentment and you'll waste all your money doing it. Let me say that one again for me and for you. If you don't have contentment, you will try to buy contentment and you will blow your budget out of the water trying to do it. And it's so easy for us to look down on people who try to buy things to make them happy when almost everyone, especially millennials, claim it if you're there, uh, tries to buy experiences that bring us happy even if we're not buying things. And so we want to go to this specific place so we can take that one picture that we can put on Instagram... Stop me if I'm, not, if I'm off the mark here, okay? And, you know, and so it's like we're trying to buy contentment, buy happiness, and it will blow your budget out of the water. When I was a little kid, I wanted a trampoline. I needed a trampoline. And this is back when trampolines were dangerous. When I was a kid, there were jagged metal parts. You climbed onto a trampoline, you had tetanus. It's true. Nowadays, there's like, there's plastic on everything. There's a 360-degree barrier. There's kids with helmets on trampolines. That is disgusting, okay? Um, and, but I wanted a trampoline. And every time we went to, like, um, service merchandise or Sears or something, I was like, I have to have one. You know, my mom never, talk about it, terrible, terrible parenting. My mom never bought me a trampoline. I actually asked her about this late, later. I still rag on her. And she told me, that she knew that there was one thing in my life as a child that I needed to want and never get. Isn't that crazy? Talk about good parenting. Holy cow. I'm going to try that on Jude. We'll see how that goes. (laughs) There has to be something in life that that you want and don't need so you can cultivate contentment so you won't try to buy it. Number one, cultivate contentment. Number two, work hard. There's two verses, two slides for this one. The first is Proverbs twenty eight nineteen. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. You work, you have plenty of bread. You follow worthless pursuits, you have plenty of poverty. And then we find the same teaching in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, and 12. It says, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Here he's talking specifically to people who can work, but are not working, and instead are going from house to house saying, Jesus is coming back any day now, so I don't have to get a job. So, oh, by the way, do you have any food in the pantry? So he says, no, listen, you have the ability to work, you should work, with your hands. And this is true for us. If, you are, um, if you're a Christian, I think God asks us to work hard, whether you are a busboy or independently wealthy. Whether you are in a dead-end job that you hate or even if you are retired. For those who follow the, the word of God, we, we never stop working hard. I mean, we rest, but we never stop and just give up and say, okay, I've reached it, I'm done. We continue to work hard. Um, you'll hear a lot of these today, when I was a kid. When I was a kid, on spring break in high school, I would—I just wanted to sleep and play Halo. I'm dating myself. Actually, this was probably before Halo, Mortal Kombat, and um, <laughs> yeah. My father would come home—I kid you not—with his pickup truck completely full of stones, like about this big each. Because he claimed that erosion was taking away the canal in the back of the house. And I, and I would have to carry all the stones into the backyard and build up the canal so that this strange erosion didn't like wipe away our backyard. He made me just get out there and work. Um, I hated every single minute of it. But you know what I find later in life? That although my work does not always have a direct correlation between my work and um, prospering. Yet still, I think God honors that. That when we work hard, God sees that. God knows. And if we don't work hard, uh, poverty can come on us suddenly. Number three, biblical principle. Have a plan. Have a plan. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The plans... ...of the diligent lead to abundance. Did you know that budgeting is biblical? That's right. Making a plan. Sticking with it. Rather than being blown about by every wind of desire. You see this shiny new thing. It's like, oh, I I need that. I want that. I see that. Oh, I have to have that. Budgeting is absolutely biblical. Um, It's been said by someone much smarter than me... ...that if you don't tell your money where to go... ...it just goes... (laughs) If you don't tell it where to go, it just goes. So budgeting and planning in terms of your finances is biblical. If you're not a planner, maybe you need to find someone who is. I, dude, I will never forget. I went to Adam and Jessica Leonard's wedding in Ohio. They're, they're members of our church. And I flew out there, and Adam, Adam was like, okay, here's the schedule for today. And it was scheduled out down to the individual minute. Like, it said, like, 2.03 p.m., start the rehearsal. And I was like, wow, this guy needs to be in charge of our finances. Because he knows how to plan. And I'll tell you what, actually, when he came back, we, we, we did. And he's, he leads our stewardship team now. And it has been like night and day for the church, knowing what we have, living responsibly within our means, on budget, under budget, because we have a planner there. God puts planners, if you're not a budgeter, you're not a planner, God puts those people in your life so that you can rely on them. Because the church isn't like a family, it is a family. And if you don't know those people, you don't have those people in your life, you need to join a community group. At the balloons today, after the service. (laughs) But seriously... He, God intends for us to work this stuff out together. And money is one of those topics where we don't talk about it a lot with other people. You know, like just our co-workers are like, well, this is how much I have in my 401k. Like, that'd be awkward, weird, don't do that. But in my family, I sure do. I talk about it with my sister and with my mom and my dad. And I can ask them for advice. And that's what the church is like. So make a plan. Number four, Bible's wisdom on managing it well is to give Generously. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Okay, let me call time out on the sermon for just a second here and tell you that if you're not a Christian, we do not have an expectation that you will give to the church. It's, it's not there, okay? I want us to be able to talk about this for a second seriously without. Like having that, are you giving to the church thing, hanging over the conversation. Which is to say that I believe that no matter where you are today spiritually, whether you're a Christian or not, or somewhere in between, or you're figuring it out, we all can know and acknowledge that generosity is good for our heart. Think about it this way. If you live the next 10 years of your life and you never give generously, is that good for your heart or is that bad for your heart? So whether you believe in sort of um, what the Bible says to Christians about giving to God's work, we can all acknowledge that giving generously is an important part of managing money well. Particularly, the Bible would say, especially to those in need. My friend, um, uh, a friend of mine back from North Carolina, said that when she was a little girl in Michigan, or in in school in Michigan, her house burned down. And... um, she said that her neighbors were just unbelievable. I mean, they, lost, they literally lost everything. The house was totally consumed. So every bit of clothing, every bit of everything was burned. And she said her neighbors were unbelievable in giving to them, in supporting them, making sure they had everything they need. That's an important part of managing your money, right? Is building that sort of margin in so that you can help those who are in need. Giving generously is good for your heart because it fights consumerism. You and I hear how many commercials a year? What, tens of thousands? Tens of thousands of messages that say, you need this, you want this, you should buy this, then you'll be happy and sexy and rich and satisfied. Giving generously helps the heart to fight consumerism, whether you're a Christian or not. It's one of those principles that I believe God has built into the foundation of the world and the human heart, and so when you practice it, it works. And lastly, giving generously fights greed, it fights greed. Greed is a funny thing. I want you to listen close to this. Because as a pastor, I'll have people come to me occasionally and say they they need help with something or they're struggling with a particular sin. Sometimes, you know, someone will say, Hey, I'm struggling with lust. I'm struggling with an eating disorder. I have same sex attraction. We see all these different kinds of things. People come and talk to me and they'll say, This is a struggle in my life. You know how many people have ever come to me and said, I think I'm greedy? Zero. Zero. Greed is one of the most deceitful of sins. No one ever thinks they're greedy. Because it can masquerade as managing money well. It can masquerade as saving for the future, even though you're supposed to save for the future. It can masquerade as, well, well, everybody knows that this is a necessity. When the majority of the world's Christians who live on $2 a day or less know that it's probably not a necessity for you and I, but it feels like it. And so, giving generously helps to guard our hearts against greed. Because when you give, when you, when you loosen your grip on money, money loosens its grip on you. And so, giving generously fights greed in your life. I think that considering how much Jesus taught about greed and how sneaky greed is, every one of us should at least approach it with the attitude of, well, I should look closely because this could be a problem for me, and I might not be aware of it. Okay, so... That was number four. Give generously. Number five. Save diligently. Proverbs 21.20 says, precious, uh, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. This is one of those places where the King James Bible kind of nails it. Some of you who grew up in the like fundamental churches, you memorized it like this in Awanas. The rest of you don't even know what that sentence just meant. Um, it says, uh, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Right? It's like like a wise man has this stuff stored up in his house for emergencies or for a day of trouble, but a foolish man just spends it up. Probably on Newbury Street. The Bible says we should save. Um, roughly a quarter, like 24% of American households have zero savings whatsoever. No savings at all. Um, when I became a Christian, I was taught this principle for Christians now: that you pay God first, you pay yourself second, and then you live on the rest. that 's how i 've lived my life personally. I give 10 percent to God, ten percent to savings, and I live on the rest. Ten to God, ten to savings, and I live on the rest as a minimum. And that has guided and shaped our principles and philosophy as a family. And I I think God has been faithful in the middle of that. So you need to save. Save for the day of trouble. Save for emergencies. Uh, This is not in the Bible. This is in the Dave Ramsey plan. (laughs) But he says if you don't have any savings, you need an emergency fund of $1,000. And then once you get that and you pay down some of your debt, you need an emergency fund of three to six months of income, or excuse me, of expenses. So you have to save. This is wisdom from the Bible. Number six. Consider the poor. Proverbs 22, 22-23 says this, Do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. Boy, that's a strong warning. Consider the poor in your finances. Paying less to immigrants or those who are undocumented Making extra money off of the poor when you don't need money. Lending at exorbitant interest to the poor. God hates these things. And on top of that, the majority of the world's Christians live on less than $2 per day. So we have an obligation, I think, as Christians, let me speak to Christians now, to consider how our purchases and our goals in life look in light of the majority of the world's Christians who live on less than $2 per day. Are we considering the poor in our finances? I've, I've seen some people who, um, who give designated gifts to benevolence at the church to ensure that they're considering the poor when they do their finances. There's different ways, but we must consider the poor. Number seven, Bible on managing money. Pay people fair wages, especially the poor. Pay people fair wages, especially the poor. Um, in one verse that we're not mentioning, it says, if you if you owe a poor person money, you must pay them before the sun goes down because they need it to eat. In Jeremiah twenty two thirteen, it says, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. If you have someone work for you, you must be very careful to pay them what they are owed. Whether that's a contractor or a babysitter. Um, hopefully you're not having someone write your papers for you. <laughs> but You must pay people what they're owed. Um, y- you know a really positive example of this that, I, that I, I noticed recently in our area? You remember a couple years ago when they tried to fire the CEO of Market Basket? It was in the summer. It was this weird, like... Um, Man bites dog story where they were going to oust the CEO, but all of the employees said, No, we want that CEO. We like and love that CEO. It's like, Have you ever heard employees stand up and say, We love our CEO? And a big part of that was because he had put pay policies into place that respected the dignity of work. And so people supported him in that because he paid them well. So, number seven, pay people fair wages, especially the poor. Number eight, Avoid debt. Avoid debt. So I, I, I think it's, I think I heard someone say, "Too late, too late." <laughs> Proverbs twenty-two seven says, "The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave of the lender." You know, I know your life verse is probably uh, for God so loved the world, but for some of us, maybe our life verse should be the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave of the lender. The Bible discourages debt every single time it is mentioned. Did you know that? Isn't that incredible? Um, And yet, as a culture, we are completely addicted to debt. To debt. Some of you saw, we posted it on our Facebook uh, page this week. The old SNL skit is the financial plan called, If You Don't Have Money, Don't Buy It. <laughs> they're like, but well, what if you really want it? He's like, still don't buy it. That's our, our culture and our society. You need it now. Instead of saving up money and getting it later. Now, listen, I, I don't know that there's a, I don't have a nuanced theology of like, well, what about student loans and taking out a house more? I'm, I'm not breaking all that down today. I'm just saying that the Bible is incredibly negative on taking out debt because the borrower is slave to the lender. And when you take out debt, you, be, you, you lose some of your freedom in telling your money where to go. Does that make sense? And you end up paying interest on your credit cards instead of being able to do whatever you want to do with that money. I've also heard it said that there are two kinds of people in this world. Um, people who break people up into two categories and those who don't. That was stupid. Okay. Uh, there's two kinds of people in this world. There's people who pay interest and people who get paid interest. And you can decide what kind of person you're going to be. Whether you're the kind of person who's going to pay interest or the kind of person who's going to get paid interest. But you should avoid debt at all costs. I want to say one more thing about this, which is I often hear pastors um like kind of railing on their churches to be generous, and teaching like generosity, generosity, generosity. You know what, as your pastor, I believe that those of you here who are followers of Jesus, you already have a desire to be generous. Because when God does that work in your life, and God is generous towards you, and he puts the Holy Spirit in you, living and working in you, he creates a desire to be generous. But many, many people in this church have managed or mismanaged your finances in such a way that you can't fulfill your own desires to be generous. And I want to say that's part of the reason why we offer financial peace. Is we believe God's already done a deep work in your life and you desire to be generous. But we know there are people here who you cannot be generous the way that you want to because the majority of your money goes to servicing debt instead of being generous like you desire to be. And so if that's you, I, I just want to encourage you to be a part of financial peace. Our church has a goal to help seven people get out of debt this year. Wouldn't it be cool if this was the year that you were one of those people? So number eight was avoid debt. Number nine, more on debt. Avoid being a personal debt collector. Luke 6.35, this is Jesus says, And lend, expecting nothing in return. And you go, Jesus, that's not lending. (laughs) Like, the whole point of a loan is that you think you're going to get it back, right? But Jesus says, lend, expecting nothing in return. Nothing ruins relationships faster than tracking people down for money that they owe you. My dad used to say, you want to lose a friend? Loan a dollar. You want to lose a friend? Loan a dollar. Because when they don't pay you back, it ruins the whole relationship. Practically speaking... I think we could say, don't lend what you expect back. So don't lend unless you're willing to lose it. Um, Another piece of practical wisdom is to give rather than to lend. Does someone need $1,000 and you have $1,000? Just give it to them. You make a $1,000 loan and lose it, you're not just going to lose a friend, you're going to make an enemy for life. (laughs) Another practical practical lesson in terms of this is to learn to let go of money you've given. Learn to let go of money you've given. Um, we once had a man in our church in North Carolina. Um, he was starting a business and so he had to cash in some stock options that he had. And so he um, he, he came to the, the staff of the church and he said, um, hey guys, I'm gonna be tithing to the church, giving 10% of my income to the church. But just so you know, that's gonna be $500,000 this year. So I'm going to be giving half a million dollars to the church. Um, that was kind of a cool moment because our church was getting started. If any of you would like to follow in his footsteps, you can see me after the service. Um, but here was the really cool thing about that for me that said a lot about his character as a person is that there were no strings attached on that gift. He, he wasn't even like, and how are you going to use it? And what are you going to do? He was like, hey, this is for you guys to use for kingdom work. And I thought that, that spoke a lot about him. On a, on a much smaller uh, level, one that perhaps the rest of us could appreciate, um, I was once working at a church with a man who, he was part-time, and he had another part-time job, and his wife had a part-time job, and they had four kids. So things were kind of tight financially. And he was, he was talking to me a lot about how, how difficult things were. And so I talked to my wife, and I was like, hey, I think we need to help him out. So we talked about it, and we, we decided to give him a cash gift to just give it to him. And um, it, was, it was substantial for us at the time. It felt like a lot of money for sure. And we went to go visit him like a couple weeks later, and they were getting like a new TV in their house. <laughs> and like all the kids had new cell phones. And uh, we were just like, I, I think he used our gift for like a flat screen TV and it was really challenging in our heart to like continue to love him and have this like good relationship with him after that because i was learning that when you give a gift you have to let it go that uh, that you are responsible for the generosity of giving and they are responsible and accountable for doing well with what they have received and if you don't learn that distinction you will be forever angry with people that you give gifts to practical advice on managing money. Number ten. See, I promised you this wasn't going to be too long today. Number ten. Listen to counsel. This is the one that's not specifically about money. This is wisdom from the Bible that I, I think we can clearly apply to money. Listen to counsel. Proverbs 15, 22. Really famous on, on this in the Bible. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. One of the problems that we have in, in managing our money is that is that for many of us, we were never taught. I come from this like weird freakish home where we talked about this all the time. And this is actually all my dad ever wanted to talk about was like how our money was invested. And like, you know, how, our, like when I was in high school, he was like, here's where your money's invested and here's how they're doing. And I want you to, like, I, I had a really strange, bizarre childhood. But I know that for the majority of Americans, like we just, we weren't taught and our parents didn't talk about it. And we just don't know, just don't know. And I want to say, like, um, I think this is worth getting right for the, just the immediate impact that it would have on your life. So find counsel. And don't be ashamed or afraid or embarrassed to find counsel on this. One way to find counsel, sign up for financial peace. Dave Ramsey knows more mo- more about money than Jared Kirk. It's a fact, okay? <laughs> so that's one way. But the other way is through community groups and to go to people who do it well. I guarantee you, that in every community group in our church, there's somebody who follows Jesus well and manages money well too, who could help you sort of navigate that. And if you would if you would show up and say, Man, I, I'm looking for somebody who can help me with this, someone would help you. Find that counsel in your life, someone who can walk with you along the way. Number ten, listen to counsel. Okay, those are the those are the ten. The ten principles from the Bible. I hope that some of you were like, I didn't know that the Bible was that down-to-earth and practical. I hope that some of you were like, I'm not doing any of that. I need some serious help. (laughs) And I hope that some of you were like, you know, there's one or two things that I need to focus on. I need to circle that, and that's kind of the the issue that I need to address in my finances. So, here's how I want to close our time today. Here's how I want to close our time today. Just by asking this one question. What difference does being a Christian make? Right? Because, you know, those principles, you can tune on Susie Orman and she'll tell you all that. You can tune into Dave Ramsey on the radio and he'll tell you all that. You know, I listened to my dad. My dad told me most of that. I didn't know it was in the Bible 3,000 years before my dad was born. Right? But this this is wisdom that works because it operates according to the way that God made the universe. So what difference does being a Christian make? And to answer this question... Um, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to actually explain verses from the Bible. I just want to share with you my own experience. I told you this was the, this is the sermon that my seminary professors are going to bed weeping over. Okay. It just is. It's fine. Let me tell you the difference that it's made in my life being a Christian when it comes to managing money. Number one, it has killed anxiety in my life. Because in my life, since I follow Jesus, money doesn't get to tell me who I am or what I'm worth. Money doesn't get to tell me whether I'm a success. Money doesn't tell me whether I should be respected by people. Money doesn't tell me what my status is in this world. Jesus tells me those things. And so uh, money doesn't control me. Instead, I can tell my money what it should do or where it should go. It also means that when I do feel anxious about money, because I don't want you to be like, oh, well, he's got it mastered. Like, everyone feels anxious about finances sometimes, I think. When I do feel anxious about money, knowing Jesus helps me to get back on track and kill that anxiety very quickly. Because I can actually preach the gospel message to myself. I am not worth what my money says I'm worth. I am worth what Jesus says I'm worth. And he died for me. He paid for me with his own blood. That's what Jared Kirk is worth, not what his bank account says. And so even when I feel anxious, it helps me to get back on track. It means I don't freak out in times of want or times of poverty. Because I have a God who loves me and is good to me. And he loves me so much that his son died for me. So even if he puts me in a season of want or a season of poverty, I can trust that he's still a good God. Because any God who would give his own life to forgive me of my sins against him is worthy of following. And I know that he will work all things together for good for those who love God. And he will do that even in my poverty. It also means that in my plenty, I can avoid pride. Because what I do have is a gift of grace from him. And just as my money doesn't tell me what I'm worth when I don't have any of it, my money doesn't get to tell me what I'm worth when I have a bunch of it. So it kills anxiety in my life. And here's the other thing. I think being a Christian has made me more willing to sacrifice money. And um, I want to be very careful here because I think that there's people who are way more generous than me. And, I mean, in this room, we have people who have outgiven, you know, and, it's like, sacrificed more. Um, but I think it's an objective truth. Because I was taught when I was 17 years old that when you follow Jesus, you tithe to the local church. That's what I was taught. So that's what I do. Is I give 10%, at least 10% of my income before taxes to the local church. That's what I do. Which means I've been a Christian for about 15 years. Which means I've given about one and a half years of income to the work of God through the local church. Now I can just tell you as an objective reality that there is no way that I would have done that were I not a Christian. Does that make sense? Like there's just, there's just no possible way that I would, give, I would give like that were I not a Christian. And and I do not say that to boast or to brag, but simply to say that that truth has been repeated and echoed by many, many people in this room, that there's a willingness to sacrifice that comes with being a Christian. And the reason for that is because Jesus sacrificed himself for me. Nobody sacrifices more than Jesus. That's what it boils down to. Jesus didn't tithe himself to us. Jesus gave all of himself to us. To the point of giving his very own life and his blood for us. And so if that's true, then it is also literally true that we cannot give more than God has given. We will never be able to outgive God who gives his own self, who gives his very life for people who have hated him, for people who have been greedy, and for people who have mismanaged what God has given him. And so the, the more you follow Jesus, the more you are conformed to the image of Jesus, the more sacrifice becomes a normal and natural part of your life. And so following Jesus enables you to be generous in a different kind of way and for a different kind of reason than feeling good about yourself. Listen up. You can put all these principles into place, these ten principles, and improve your financial situation. You can. They'll work, I promise. Because they're in, they're in the Bible. And on top of that, Dave Ramsey says so. You can do it. But you could put all these principles into place in your life and still be a slave to money. And still let money tell you what you're worth. But Jesus, Jesus is the one who sets us free, not just from debt, but from money controlling your heart. Because Jesus tells you what you're worth. And if you long for that kind of freedom, And what you most need is not to get out of debt financially, but to get out of debt spiritually and come to Jesus and have your debt forgiven. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we can talk honestly and openly about money, a topic that quite frankly can be uncomfortable sometimes. We just don't talk about it very much in public. It's not something that we do. And yet you're a God who says a lot about money. It says a lot about finances. A God who um, gives us guidelines and principles to live by, gives us wisdom to apply in our lives. I pray for those who are struggling here financially today. I pray that you would provide for their every need, for the food, the clothing, and the housing that they need. I pray that you would also enable them to follow your wisdom and live wisely and manage well what you give. For those who have plenty, I pray that you would guard their hearts against pride and greed, that you would enable them to give generously to the poor, that you would create in them a heart that is free of the love of money. For all of us here today, Father, we pray that the most important thing in our lives is never money. And I pray that um, people would be set free from the love of money with the love of Jesus. That for those in this room, that it money is a stronghold, that it will be broken today in the name of Jesus. Amen.